Welcome to this brand new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Mark van Horek and myself, Elias Krum, and brought to you by Marketing Guys, the MarTech agency based out of the Netherlands. Welcome to this new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast, on which I today have Tim, Tim Partasovic. He's the Chief Growth Officer at Smart IT. Um, but, but first of all, um, I'd like to learn a little bit more about your background, Tim, because I, I looked on your LinkedIn profile and you have a various background internationally. You've studied in the UK. Um, you, you have a background in engineering. You work at an agency. You've done all kinds of cool stuff. And now you're the growth officer. So could you explain the audience a little bit about that journey? How did you become that and what have you done before? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, thanks very much for having me here. It's a pleasure. Uh, yes, so my kind of like story begins long, hopefully, you know, 10 years ago. So, yeah, uh, I went, studied in the UK. Uh, my background academically is uh, electrical electronic engineering. I was always like uh, very much a nerdy numbers guy who's good at math and physics and sciences. Uh, but uh, after I got back home to Belarus, after I graduated, uh, the problem is uh, here in Belarus, the uh, the market isn't uh, cut out for like uh, engineering uh, jobs. They, those are usually all government owned and they don't do not provide like interesting career options really. So I started looking for something a little bit different. And I got into marketing. I started working for M Action, which is a marketing agency. Uh, it's glo- global agency specializing in SEO and paid advertising services. I actually started just as a content manager, but then I went second year there. I went into sales, and gradually I rose up to be uh, vice president of, of business development. I work with countless. Uh, clients all across the world in various industries, uh, but it just so happened historically that Imaction had quite a few clients in software engineering and software outsourcing businesses, and Smart IT was actually one of my customers uh, with whom I worked, and after I left uh, Imaction, I was invited to join Smart IT. Okay, so what what do you guys do at Smart IT? Because I I picked a, uh, on your website and you do software outsourcing. I I, I noticed an interesting thing. I think software uh, project rescue uh, kind of uh, option. So that sounds all very familiar. You know, it's like or or it people that are in software they they have those projects and they need to be rescued sometimes. So I, I found that a pretty clever. Uh, item yes. on your website. So explain explain the audience, like what, what do you do at Smart IT? Yeah, at Smart IT, what we do is uh, various types uh, like uh, of software engineering and software development services. Like uh, I usually describe it to my clients uh, by giving an example of two diametrically opposite clients. Like for example, uh, sometimes uh, a young startup who might secure some serious A funding comes to us and they have a great product idea, but they don't have a technical know-how. They don't know how to structure the IT department. So they come to us, we assemble a team for them and we build the, the entire project together. And then there's a second type of customer, which is on the completely opposite side, which is enterprise level companies who already have uh, massive IT departments established, but they all they need is to scale up 
their operation quickly. They don't want to go through the uh, HR hustle. Uh, so they just come to us and they say like, yeah, we need additional two developers that will work in our kind of management, business management structure, and they will fit in, into our processes. And we provide those uh, to them as well. And as you said, like the projects can vary depending on technology stack and they can vary uh, like on the type. Sometimes, like, as I said, it's engineering an entire product from ground up. Sometimes it's picking up where someone's left and the project rescues, which is also referred to as legacy modernization is when a company, it's usually big enterprises like banks come to us and they say, listen, uh, our software is a completely outdated uh about 100 people worked on the software over the decades and we need to modernize everything and make sure that it works with new IT infrastructure and it can actually uh, fit into in the like modern digital age. Because if you think about it, like many banks have been around for a very long time. And so, yeah, their software can be quite outdated and it's not easy to just, and they cannot just say, yeah, let's switch to another system because all the data and like different regulations that surround this industry make it quite difficult. So, and, and uh, Tim, you are the chief growth officer over there, um, yes. which means that you're um, responsible for both sales and marketing, if yeah. I'm right. Um, what what does your daily uh, job looks like look like oh the daily job uh, oh, the daily job uh, consists of uh, first of all like stand up meetings with my team both marketing and sales department making sure that uh, we're all on track uh, then if I have any obviously there will be communications and negotiations with either uh, potential leads and opportunities maybe some existing clients uh, up sales typical like uh, sometimes I, I'm very involved in the sales cycle. Uh, then I'll review the proposed marketing strategies, communication and tasks proposed to me by my team. Uh, uh, I'll I either approve them, ask the corrections or and do very like obviously high level uh, management of the overall strategy. Obviously, then there's a, like communication with the partners who do certain work. I also outsource part of marketing and web development work because I don't want to, for example, hold uh, in-house designers mm -hmm. for my marketing purposes. So usually I outsource those, this work. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, I would say about 50% of my day is uh, just making sure that my entire team is on track, uh, supporting them, ensuring that we are all synchronized. Again, I'm, I'm managing both marketing and sales departments. And usually, like traditionally, if you ask people, marketing and sales are kind of like uh, have a friendly rivalry always. Mm -hmm. They don't like each other very much. But since I was business development manager in a marketing agency, I kind of know both. So it makes me a perfect guy to align the strategies and activities for both of them. It sounds like an awesome job to, to be responsible both strategically and also be busy on a tactical level, still being involved with the business on a day-to-day -day basis. So it sounds like sounds like a very cool job. And you also have a lot of experience in startup marketing, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, because um, marketing for startups is, and especially if you're talking uh, like software companies, SaaS companies, 
can be oh, a yeah. challenge, right? Yes, it is. So, um, first of all, uh, there always has to be made a decision on, on, on what kind of budget to spend. And then are we going to spend this on branding or are we going to spend this on uh, lead gen? What's working? What's not working? Sometimes you don't have the, uh, the, the needed uh, people because you're a small company. You don't have the money to hire all the, the big, uh, big shots in, in marketing, of course. So um, when we're talking about uh, defining a marketing team, for a startup, what do you recommend? What what's your experience? Mm. Uh, for a startup, I I think my recommendation is always the same for any company, but I think it works even more for startup. It's more crucial. Uh, when I interview people for a job, uh, I the the biggest thing I dislike is when they just say I don't know. I much more prefer people who say I don't know, but if the task was presented before me, that's how I would try to do it. Uh, I'm always looking for people who are go-getters. So the people who can try, can risk, can propose an idea, they are very like initiative, they're driven because the, so much like even, especially in startup when you actually have so many risks, you what even a failure can be actually an experience because suddenly you experiment something, something doesn't work. Okay, you, you have information that it doesn't work. It's better than to be in a complete obscurity and just that doesn't know anything. So in people, I think the most important thing is always finding like those kind of people who are go-getters and can ask the right questions and are not afraid to experiment and go kind of outside the boundaries of their own expertise. Because so many people just getting stuck, they say, I'm, I'm like an SMM manager and I don't want to ever touch the SEO or paid advertising, for example. Uh, like in a startup environment, you don't want those kind of people. You want like very ambitious people who are ready to grow with you and who are ready to take action. Would you, would you say, because you're making some valid points there, would you say that a startup would benefit more from a generalist than, than from a specialist? Is that what you're saying? Kind of like generalists, even generalists can be uh, an expert in their own area. Like, for mm -hmm. example, you can be uh, a very competent uh, expert in the field of, for example, SEO, but you still have to have knowledge of other marketing communications and marketing strategies. I mean, it's especially now when everything is kind of is so much interconnected. And when we're talking about any sort of marketing strategy, we never talk about SEO only or SMM only. We're always talking about it in general. So even if you're a specialist and you have this like an expertise in one area, my advice to everyone in marketing field would be to expand it and to have at least general understanding of what other areas of marketing are doing because it's always better. It makes you a better specialist. It's, you have an understanding of what your teammate might be doing. You can actually raise valid points and concerns and suggestions. So yeah, like uh, you have to have generalists on board, especially in startups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, good point. Um, so let's say you have that team in place. And um, because we, we have a lot of listeners that are working at startups, um, and you, with all the experience that you have, let's say you have that team in place and you were a marketing manager for a startup 
and 2022 is laying in front of you. It's it's ahead, and you need to come up with a tactical plan. What would be the first steps that you would take as an experienced startup marketer? Calculate unit economy of my startup. How much money can a customer bring me to understand how much money I can spend on each customer? Mm-hmm. That's so, like the analyst because if you don't have unit economy in front of you, if you don't understand like your internal e- economics of your product, uh, the entire analytics just falls apart. Because uh, in any product project that I take on, I think that being able to track your progress and making sure that everything is set up in terms of analytics is crucial for any business. Because let, like let's be honest, we are talking about money here, mm-hmm. uh, and the first way is to understand uh, how much can you spend, how much each customer will bring you in terms of uh, whether it's like short time revenue, lifetime revenue, uh, how can you, and then from it, you can expand and see like, okay, how we can reallocate budget. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm always surprised uh, when I'm hearing you telling this, that a lot of marketers in B2B that I talk to and I talk to them on a daily basis, a lot of them don't even have that um, in place. So they don't have yeah. insights into what a customer could cost. Let's stand that they would have uh, the a, a KPI on cost per lead because you need to have to make to have, have a, a KPI there, right? Because yeah. you cannot spend endless money on something that is not bringing you money. Yeah, because like, to, like, for example, in paid advertising, when we're talking about like Google ads, Calculating cost per lead is not actually that difficult. It's a simple algebra. Uh, there's no difficult calculations there. But mm-hmm. knowing what's an effective cost per lead for your business is, that can be a tricky thing. So you have worked at agencies uh, or at an agency before. Um, I own an agency as well. So you have some, some insights into the average CPLs and average cost of acquisitions. Um, can you share some data there? For example, let's say let's say you're running a a social campaign on, for example, LinkedIn. What what is the typical cost per lead that you that you've seen come by? Because a lot of marketers that I talk to don't don't have a clue. They don't they don't know what it what it's on average. They don't know what to expect or whatsoever. Do you have any any details to share there? Like I, I wouldn't like share a specific number, obviously, because it will depend very much on the industry that you're working in. For example, like I am in B two B industry and software outsourcing, and each potential client is that each closed deal is upwards of fifty k minimum. For example, so I can actually justify a very high cost per lead. On that front, mm-hmm. but I think the products that run on subscriptions would not be able to do so because, like as I said, for the past year I was working uh, in I wasn't working in an agency. I was working at a uh, at my business in Smart IT right here. So I'm I'm not I might be out of the loop on exact numbers and trends that, mm-hmm. for example, in LinkedIn uh, I have my own internal KPIs that I keep. In my business, um, which which might be very different than higher than Absolutely. average on the, on the market. Absolutely. So, um, first of all, your your the first thing you would do for next year ever after having your team complete would be to have those numbers in in place. You know what what can I what can I actually spend on a lead? Yes. Um, what does your 
um, strategy or tactics look like? What 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 kind of if if you're running a software company or maybe for your for for smart IT and software development, what kind of channels would you advise to use in 2022? Uh, yeah, in, in still, I think in like those heavy B two B industries like software development, where like each pro, each project, each contract that you close is upwards of fifty or hundred k at least. Uh, mm-hmm. SEO is still uh, one of the biggest channels that brings uh, re- relevant leads to you. So I'm always heavily investing in the SEO, always making sure that the website stays uh, SEO healthy, that we develop new and relevant content. We are working on backlinks. Uh, Another thing, for example, is I'm very big fan of using the referral channels like uh, Clutch, uh, Design Rush. Those are specific directories uh, and aggregators of businesses like my own that compete with each other on the particular platform. So think of it as like Yelp for software agencies, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, it's it's um, actually surprising to hear that you're pointing out SEO and referrals. Whereas if I talk to a lot of other marketers in IT or in SaaS, they highly depend on advertising. Uh, SaaS would be dependent on that. If you like my difference, my business is quite different. Like if you would ask me for for SaaS, I would say that the paid advertising probably is your best friend because uh, SEO takes a lot of time. And in SaaS and product, uh, you need to experiment a lot. You need to have uh, like heavy investment into A-B testing of different campaigns. You want to try different messaging, different CTAs, different offers, because even slight changes of $5 per prescription can drastically change your conversion rate. Mm -hmm. So you need to experiment a lot, do all those test runs, and you cannot do them on organic traffic. It's simply not viable. True, true. So... Another thing that I actually employ uh, heavily here at SmartIT is doing uh, outreach through LinkedIn. I found LinkedIn to be a very good channel for me. Mm-hmm. You mean like in-mails or? Uh... No, 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 no. Just, just an outreach with uh, connecting to people uh, through uh, different events that might be relevant to my business, uh, groups, uh, webinars, mm-hmm. not, like nothing uh, paid internally. Like I don't pay LinkedIn actually and anything. Everything is done by uh, my team. So it's mm-hmm. more like you can say telemarketing would be, I guess, uh, the correct term there. Yeah. So we outreach directly, similar to email outreach, but you just find those people on LinkedIn, you connect with them and you start uh, chatting about potential partnership. Are there any other offline tools that you use? Because you have a highly, uh, like a, the, the, the business value or the order value is pretty high. So 50K and up. Um, mm-hmm. Is everything you do online or do you use offline channels as well? Well, I, I do everything online because like we are situated in Belarus and Eastern Europe. And actually, I don't remember like having a client here like in the past year at all. <laughs> No, I can understand so, that. Yeah, my, my entire business is, uh, is globally, and so everything is online. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've seen from experience that like a similar firm 
that uh, that I'm familiar with, and uh, I won't share the names here because that would be confidential. But um, I've seen them doing a lot of um, radio campaigns com- combined oh. with uh, with online, um, and they actually also had that like 50k threshold, and they actually had that on their website. So they combined some uh, radio commercials on business channels, so business mm-hmm. radio. Um, with on, an online offering and, you know, just ma- having customers making the choice online, do you have like more or less than 50K to spend, for example? And that really worked. Oh, so, really? Uh, you, yeah. You, like I, I'll have to look into it. I never thought about even using radio. No, it's it's. I was surprised as well. So we, uh, especially if you like you, you're measuring everything, right? So yeah. you could actually... Uh, pinpoint from the conversion time exactly and the channels that you're using um, when leads come in. So uh, you really can see that traffic is up and conversions are up. Um, and and that was, oh, oh, it's a completely different model, of course, because uh, radio is not like paper conversion, of course. Um, but yeah. it's, 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 it's was highly effective in their case. Mm. Yeah, sounds really interesting. I might look into it. Another thing which is not entirely done online it's not in uh, i i just use online tools to achieve that is uh, sending like uh, different gift cards after i have a call with the client is something that i'm very interesting in testing i haven't tested it out completely but that's what i'm gonna do in 2022 actually yeah one of the first thing is testing out how the uh, just receiving like physical gifts after a call with the client will whether it will improve conversion or not having like the proposal not only emailed uh digitally but also received in a paper form in your office but which actually it's kind of difficult right now because nobody is in the office and getting the actual address of people's homes is pretty much impossible Mm-hmm. Not, not to mention so much da- data privacy violation that can be yeah, said absolutely. about. So yeah, but uh, that's something that I want to look into. It is how much like having this uh, in the digital world, how much having this something little, just little touch of physical things, how can it affect the conversion rate? I mean, there's there's actually um, I had the CEO of this company handwritten handwritten.com um, with. Written is written with a Y, so handwritten with a Y in it instead of an I. Um, handwritten.com. He was on the um, uh, podcast, I think, last year, so you you can look it up and on, on iTunes. Um, and they actually have a service which is integrated into your CRM if you want it. Mm. Um, and they have about 50 machines writing handwritten notes to your contacts. So um, you could completely automate that whole thing. And uh, they see a very positive feedback from that. Yeah, well. Check it out. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely will check it out because that's something that that, uh, I would be really interested in. Yeah, because it needs to be a a process, right? You don't want to be sitting around. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't want to like putting stamps on it mail all across (laughs) the world because like even the mailing will take so much time absolutely so so handwritten.com he was the guy was on the on the podcast last year um and i was pretty amazed by the by the service so um that would be a tip for you uh, besides the the radio maybe um to to conclude this interview is there a trend or something that you would point out to the listeners for that you foresee happening next year or in 2022 
the trend that I foresee happening next year. Is there anything that marketers should be aware of next year, or maybe you can give them like a tip on 2022 marketing? Yeah, like generally, I think the it's uh, some it's getting back to what we're talking about uh, being a generalist. I think that everything is kind of moving towards that direction where you cannot simply have marketing departments where each person does their own thing and uh, nothing else. It's all about like having this integrated knowledge in your team and uh, knowledge transfer, knowledge sharing. Uh, and whether like you're like head of CMO or head of marketing department or running your own like marketing agency, I think looking for those kind of people who have a good understanding of several marketing channels, at least basic understanding uh, on top of just being an expert in one is really important. Cool. Because yeah. I, I, I found it for myself that uh, just those kind of people are just better than their job at the end. And like, highly valuable for your company. Yeah, and highly valuable because you can see it actually like even in a year time, just the fact that they have this like initial background knowledge, this foundation, and you can assign certain tasks for them. And in a year, you already see the growth of how much their expertise has expanded in the area that they weren't like an expert at first, then they just become in, invaluable people for your business. Great, great. So for the listeners, I'll share a link to um, Smart IT's website, as well as a link to Timothy's or Tim's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Um, so you'll be able to connect to him. And Tim, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Technology Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform or iTunes. Also, if you want to be a guest or know someone that should be a guest to our show, shoot me an email on e.crum at marketingguys.nl. Thank you for listening.